Why in the world did you humor Donald Trump? That's the question the left has been asking us for months over here, those of us on the right who originally granted Trump an open hearing on his ideas. And it's a, it's a fair question. After all, Trump had a pretty long record of leftist support and a history of saying silly things. But he also had 100% name recognition, an undeniable draw, a deep wallet, an aggressive streak with the media, and a willingness to say politically incorrect things. Well, over the course of the campaign, Trump revealed more and more of himself, unpeeled himself like an onion, and it became clear that his positive qualities as a candidate were significantly outweighed by his personal authoritarianism, his narcissism, his lack of core conservative principles, and so the right sort of threw Trump over. It's not establishment moderates driving the Never Trump movement. By poll numbers, it's hardcore conservatives who don't trust Trump and think he's a leftist. So I have a question for leftists now. Here's the question for leftists. Why in the world do you continue to humor Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders' brand of socialism is not just evil. It's also super duper ignorant. On Tuesday, the New York Daily News released an interview with Sanders in which Sanders repeatedly beclowned himself. I mean, made himself look just ridiculous. Here is a direct quote of Bernie Sanders about how to break up the big banks. Quote, I'm not running J.P. Morgan Chase or Citibank. That is their decision as to what they want to do and how they want to reconfigure themselves. That's not my decision. Here is Sanders festooning himself with wreaths of asininity on whether Israel should be tried for war crimes. No. Well, look, why don't I support a million things in the world? I'm just telling you that I happen to believe anybody help me out here because I don't remember the figures, but my recollection is over 10,000 innocent people killed in Gaza. Does that sound right? No, actually, it sounds really stupid. Here's Bernie Sanders on why he thinks members of Wall Street should be prosecuted. He said, quote, what kind of fraudulent activity did the banks engage in? Fraudulent activity that brought this country into the worst economic decline in its history by selling packages of fraudulent, fraudulent, worthless subprime mortgages. How's that for a start? Well, it's not illegal. Sanders said over and over he didn't understand basic policy. And the left just goes right along with him. Here's the difference between Trump and Sanders. 74-year-old Bernie Sanders is the future of the Democratic Party. Democrats suddenly figuring out that their thought leader is a bloviating moron without any knowledge of policy or any respect for rights, they have to be asked, what exactly surprises you about Bernie Sanders? He's been exactly the same guy for literally his entire career. And why are your kids backing him anyway? See, here's the thing. Trump represents the past of the conservative movement, the revenge of frustrated paleoconservatives and out-of-work blue-collar workers who want protectionism and alt-right racists masquerading as free speech activists. Bernie Sanders represents the future for Democrats. He won 82% of voters aged 18 to 29 last night in Wisconsin. Cruz, Ted Cruz, crushed Donald Trump 44% to 33% among that same age group. So Sanders won 82% of voters aged 18 to 29 in Wisconsin. Trump won 33%. Sanders has consistently overpolled among young voters. Trump consistently underpolls in virtually every state. The Republican Party may be fragmenting, but the young conservative movement is vibrant and growing. The left part, however, is more and more extreme, and they are showing their allegiance every day to Bernie Sanders, and they're showing that their future is Hugo Chavez-style blundering fascism of Marxist redistributionism. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So here we are. It's Wednesday, and Ted Cruz is the big winner of the Wisconsin primaries on the Republican side. On the other side... It is Bernie Sanders emerging with a big victory. We'll talk about all of that. But first, say hello to our friends over at Hillsdale. The American presidency is the most powerful office on the planet, but it is not a monarchy. A huge number of our current candidates think the presidency is all of the powers that were delegated to the various branches, the legislative, the executive, the judicial. That is not 
how the framers designed things. If you want to know about the separation of powers, how to restore constitutional restraints, what the president's actually supposed to do, go to our free Hillsdale College course, Presidency and the Constitution, at hillsdale.edu slash Ben. Sign up for free at hillsdale.edu slash Ben. They're not just a great college. They're for you, too. Get a new lesson every single week right in your inbox from Hillsdale's professors. Learn how the Constitution protects us from would-be dictators, or at least should, if enough people knew about it. So check it out, hillsdale.edu slash Ben. Okay, so last night, obviously, a big news night. Ted Cruz emerges the big winner in Wisconsin. We'll talk about all of the lessons that we learned from Ted Cruz's big win. Here's what Ted Cruz sounded like last night after the what was a big victory for him. He ended up winning, I think, 36 delegates to Trump's six. He ends up winning nearly 50% of the vote. We've now, by the way, run 51 states, and Donald Trump has not won one outright. He hasn't won a majority in any of those states, which shows you that he does have a hard ceiling. Here's Ted Cruz talking about how Wisconsin could be a turning point. Tonight is a turning point. It is a rallying cry. It is a call from the hardworking men and women of Wisconsin to the people of America. We have a choice, a real choice. The national political terrain began to change two weeks ago. In the state of Utah, we won 69% of the vote, a landslide election. Okay, and he's right. It was a big election for him. It mattered a lot. And how he operated was, was smart. I mean, it was a well-run election. Trump's machine, by the way, is totally falling apart. Trump, today, it came out that, that he, his, his own data manager, the guy that he fired, took with him all of the data. <laughs> and so the next guy in line doesn't know how to access any of Trump's data. Roger Stone, who's a Trump surrogate, came out and admitted that Trump really has no ground game whatsoever. So there are a few lessons to take away from, from Cruz's big win in Wisconsin. The first is that Trump does, in fact, have a ceiling. As we've said, in the three states since the field winnowed to three, Trump has lost two, Utah and Wisconsin, while winning one, Arizona. Now, we're about to head into states that are better for Trump, including New York and Pennsylvania. There's a Quinnipiac poll out today, however, that shows Cruz actually in striking distance of Trump in Pennsylvania. He's only down 39 to 30, and we still have a couple of weeks to go. Trump, by the way, if he drags below 50% in New York, the delegates get all screwed up. So Trump, instead of winning an overwhelming majority, could win just a slight majority. Right now, the name of the game is not Cruz winning the nomination outright. It's Cruz depriving Trump of the nomination by denying him the number of delegates that he needs. And this is more and more likely to happen, not just because Cruz is winning more and more delegates, but also because it used to be that you might make at least the argument that if Trump goes into the convention with 1,100 delegates and the next highest guy is 800, that Trump ought to take the nomination, no one is going to give it to him now. No one is going to hand it to him on a silver platter. The man to whom everything has been handed his entire life, he's not just going to have it handed to him. And the reason for that is because he's alienated pretty much everybody. If Trump had just gone away for the last two weeks, if he'd just gone on vacation, if he'd found another model to show up, if, he, if he'd just done something else with his life the last two weeks, he'd be walking away with the nomination right now. Instead, Trump proceeded to just blow it out. I and mean, we're talking about not just the Corey Lewandowski debacle, but the Heidi Cruz debacle, the abortion debacle, him accusing Ted Cruz of actually violating federal law. And here's the thing. Trump has no capacity to turn down, right? He has now become, what's his name, DJ Snake? He's now turned down for what? It's Trump down for what? <laughs> he just, it's impossible. He won't do it. It's impossible for him to do what he needs to do and turn it down to a relative level. So here is what, here's the way that, that Trump responded to losing. 
Are you ready for this? Here's Trump's response to losing. This is the statement he put out. Quote, Donald J. Trump withstood the onslaught of the establishment yet again. This is his statement. This is his real statement. Okay, I'm not making this up. Donald J. Trump withstood the onslaught of the establishment yet again. Lion Ted Cruz had the governor of Wisconsin, many conservative talk radio show hosts, and the entire party apparatus behind him. Not only was he propelled by the anti-Trump super PACs spending countless millions of dollars on false advertising against Mr. Trump, but he was coordinating with his own super PACs, which is illegal, who totally control him. By the way, what, that, that phrase, which is illegal, I'm not inserting that. That's actually there. Okay, that's in the statement. He's accusing Cruz of violating federal law without evidence. Trump continues, Ted Cruz is worse than a puppet. He is a Trojan horse being used by the party bosses attempting to steal the nomination from Mr. Trump. Well, since Trump doesn't own the nomination, it's difficult for it to be stolen. We have total confidence Mr. Trump will go on to win in New York, where he holds a substantial lead in all the polls and beyond. Mr. Trump is the only candidate who can secure the delegates needed to win the Republican nomination and ultimately defeat Hillary Clinton or whomever is, whomever is the Democratic nominee in order to make America great again. There is no way that Donald Trump can turn it down. It's just impossible. He, he refuses to turn it down, and that's a problem. And by the way, conservatives dislike Trump too. Trump won independence in Wisconsin, 43% to 38%. Cruz won 53% of the Republican vote to 34% for Trump. This is an open primary. So that means independents voted for Trump. Cruz blew, out, blew him out by 19 points among Republicans. The California primary is closed. This is not going to help Trump. It's not going to help Trump. If Trump doesn't pick up the pace, no way he gets to a majority. Experts thought going into Wisconsin, Trump might finish behind the 1237 needed. Now he's, he's really slated to, to lose a lot of delegates. And, and the schedule does not favor him. And he's going to get more and more frustrated. And it's a problem for him. And so, so who, who's actually going to take the nomination then? If Trump is there and Cruz is there and Kasich is still hanging around for some odd reason, why John Kasich is still in the race? He must be the most delusional man in American politics. He continues to say that he's going to win the nomination. John, K okay, Marco Rubio dropped out two and a half weeks ago. John Kasich still has less delegates than Marco Rubio. I have won. I personally have won one less state than John Kasich in this race. Marco Rubio won more states than John Kasich in this race. It truly is amazing. I think because Rubio won Puerto Rico and Minnesota. A, but, but Kasich is still sticking around. So somebody is going to have to be the nominee. Reince Priebus over at the RNC, he says the nominee will be someone still running. It's not going to be a Paul Ryan type. If there is an attempt to jump leapfrog over the two top vote getters, the two top state winners, the two top delegate winners, don't you think that those people that caucused and voted for those two top guys, if they don't get it, that they're going to walk away and never come back? Well, look, I mean, clearly there's a rule in place now that candidates need a majority of eight states delegates but that's in eight different 40. states, a majority, to be even nominated. So, I mean, this, and I've said it before, so it's not like I'm making news. I believe the candidate, our nominee is going to be someone running. And as far as this Paul Ryan talk, let me just say it again for the 10th time. Number one, he's not running. Number two, he doesn't want to. Number three, he doesn't right. like let this talk. Let me ask talk. the question this way. End. But number four, he's not going to have a floor operation to do any is of it, these things. Is it it's your ridiculous. opinion as the state chairman that the nominee of your party, are you confident tonight that it will be either Donald Trump or Ted Cruz? Are you confident? I think it, this is what I'll say. I think our nominee is going to be someone who's running. Okay. I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm not. Well, there's three uh, people running. I mean, it's going to be someone mathematically, running. Mathematically, John Kasich can't catch up to them. Running. 
It's, you won't say for the I, record that it's either going to be Cruz or Trump? No, I'm going to say it's going to be someone that's running, Sean. I mean, I'm Define not going to... Define running. Is running gonna, meaning, d does running mean it's either going to be Cruz, Trump, or Kasich? I think it's going to be one of the three people running is going to be a nominee. And how does nominee. John Kasich get there without leapfrogging over people that have millions of more votes and hundreds of more delegates? You're going to well, have to ask question. John Kasich, but I'm not going to. Well, I'm not going to do something. There, but this is the bottom line, and, and this is exactly correct. Previous there, he's saying basically it's going to be either Trump or Cruz. Kasich is not going to leapfrog. It's most likely going to be Cruz. It's most likely going to be Cruz. If Trump is stopped short, it's going to be Cruz, and the reason is because people have now consolidated around Cruz, and because Trump has made himself utterly unpalatable. He's made himself unpalatable. He's just too toxic. He is, and and there's nothing particularly shocking about this. His nomination is not being stolen. This is the same sort of system that, as I've mentioned before, is used all over the country in gubernatorial runoffs, where you have two candidates, they run against each other, or three candidates, they run against each other, nobody gets a majority. It'd have to be three. They run against each other, nobody gets a majority. And then there's a runoff election to determine between the two top vote-getters who actually takes it, right? That's, that's sort of the way that this, this is going to operate. Basically, Trump stamps his ticket to the ball, but he doesn't actually win the, 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 the king of the prom. That's, that's still up for, up for debate. One of the reasons Trump is having trouble is because Trump is just demonstrating over and over that he's, he's delusional. And, and the, the, first of all, the media is not going to leave him alone. Okay? The media is not going to allow him to get away with this stuff. There's been this kind of lie put out by, by Trump fans that he's so good at handling the media, the media has been sort of cowed into submission. I don't think that's right. I mean, they're just starting to do their dig on Donald Trump right now because they would like for him to be the nominee. Number one, it's good for ratings. And number two, he'll probably lose to Hillary. And when I say probably, I mean 98% shot he loses to Hillary Clinton. And so now they're digging. Trevor Noah over at, over at Daily Show on Comedy Central, the least funny man in America, he actually dug up this clip. Here's a clip that he dug up of Donald Trump circa 1994. You're going to get this from now until the election day if Donald Trump is the actual nominee. Here it is. Uh, it's from a 1994 episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, in which host Robin Leach asks Donald Trump and his second wife, Marla Maples, an innocent question about their one-year-old daughter, Tiffany. Now, Donna, what does Tiffany have of yours, and what does Tiffany have of Marla's? Okay, now, now take a second. You guys are all human beings here, right? right? <laughs> Just take a moment to think about how you might answer this question about your baby. Yes, uh, you guys have an answer in your head, maybe? Yeah, you got an answer? Okay, okay, well, let's see how Donald Trump answered this question. Now, Donald, what does Tiffany have of yours and what does Tiffany have of Marla's? Well, I think that she's got a lot of moral and she's really a beautiful baby and she's, uh, she's got, um, she's got Marla's legs. <laughs> we don't know whether or not she's got this part yet, but time will tell. <laughs> wow, wow. So, so you'll see that kind of stuff all the way through, right? Donald Trump talking about the breasts of his Nemord maybe, which just demonstrates that he is a weird dude. I mean, that is one messed up weird dude. And if you don't believe me, then why don't you fast forward about 12 years and here is Donald Trump talking about another one of his daughters. This one would be Ivanka, circa 2006 from The View. This one is slightly more famous, but you'll see this on a loop all the way until election day. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. You know? <laughs> Stop it. Oh, it's so weird. Stop You know it. what? You are sick. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Oh, well, you're terrible. known for saying is outrageous things, Mr. Just Trump. Trump. Who are you, Woody <laughs> Allen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, th this kind of stuff will be playing on a loop. 
And Trump will continue to claim that he's being cheated. Hey, Trump isn't being cheated, just nothing is being handed to him. But he'll continue to push the meme. Well, when, when you're somebody who, who campaigns on personal authoritarianism and, and the appeal of the great leader, then you can never admit that you lost. So that's why after Wisconsin, he says he's been cheated. Trump now says he has been cheated seriously in nine different states. He says that Cruz has cheated him in nine different states. Every state where Trump has either lost delegates or where he has lost outright, he says that he has been cheated by Ted Cruz. And that's, you know, that, that's how Trump operates. Okay, so over to the other side of the, oh, well, fi sorry, final note, just because this is sort of hilarious. The former French first lady, Carla Bruni, who is an Italian model, she was linked in the early 90s with Trump. And Trump apparently claimed that, that he had done some stuff with her. Uh, on the morning of June 26, 1991, this is according to BuzzFeed, Donald Trump's picture was splashed across the front page of the New York Post. Next to the photo, which featured then-girlfriend Marla Maples, was the headline, quote, it's over. Trump, according to the Post, was leaving Maples for Italian model Carla Bruni. She was then the first lady of France. That morning, NBC's Today ran with the report. Trump confirmed to the Post the next day that Bruni was the new one in his life. Bruni denied she was dating Trump, and according to one biography, Trump himself planted the story for publicity. Apparently, Bruni was left aghast. She said, Trump is obviously a lunatic. It's so untrue, and I'm deeply embarrassed by it all. I've only ever met him once, about a year ago, at a big charity party in New York, and I haven't seen him since, of that I'm sure. She said, it's all nonsense. No doubt there are hundreds of models called Carla. Just because I'm well-known, they may have jumped to conclusions and put the wrong face to the name. Apparently, Bruni even confronted Trump at one point about the rumors. According to Trump's biographer, Harry Hurt, Bruni yelled at Trump, screaming, how dare you do this? And it's not true. <laughs> so Trump even makes up his, uh, his model lovers. Um, so that's the, uh, you know, the, so the, all of this stuff will be dragged out, all of it. Whether you think it's fair or whether you think it's unfair, it will all be dragged out of the woodwork. All of the negatives of Hillary Clinton will be negated by the negatives of Donald Trump. And we'll get to Bernie Sanders and Hillary in just a minute. But first, a note, a shout out to our friends over at Reagan.com. If you are concerned about your privacy, if you fear the government and corporations seeking your private information for both marketing and security or to target you, then you need to go to ReaganPrivacy.com. There you can get an email address. It's your name at Reagan.com. So you link your name with Reagan's, which is pretty cool. And you're insured that they will not give any scans or information from your emails to other companies or to the government. It's ReaganPrivacy.com. First two months free when you sign up now, ReaganPrivacy.com. Okay, so on the other side of the aisle, so Trump, Trump is waning. Okay, Trump is waning. And the reason he's waning is because, again, he has no capacity to turn it down at all. None. He's always at an 11 on the spinal tap scale. And the question becomes, when you hit crisis point and you're always at an 11, how do you increase from there? What do you do? How do you turn it up? There's no way to turn it up. I mean, you know this from, from people who you've dealt with. If somebody is always yelling at you, always yelling at you, there's no variation in their tone. There's no humor. There's no down. There's no up. It's just up all the time. Very, very tiring. And when things really get bad, you start to think, okay, well, how would I even know? Right? This is sort of my, uh, my father's critique. My dad writes musicals. My dad's critique of Andrew Lloyd Webber is that if you're singing these big virtuosic numbers, these, these loud virtuosic numbers about tiny little topics, then how do you ever turn it up? There's no way to turn it up. You're already up, right? I mean, this is the problem with, with most rock music. It doesn't have any dynamics. If you're already really, really loud, if you're already blowing out the speakers, what happens when you get more passionate? There's no place to go. That's Trump. And so he's running into a wall. There's no place for him to go here. You know, maybe he holds on, maybe, but if he does, it'll just be by the skin of his teeth. 
Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, real firefight now breaking out between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Bernie won big in Wisconsin last night, blew out Hillary Clinton, and they are very close when it comes to the delegate count. In the delegate count, they're pretty much even. And this is scaring the living crap out of Hillary Clinton. It should scare the living crap out of the left. I want to point one thing out before we get to the clips of Bernie and Hillary, and that is this particular comment from Bernie Sanders. I I mentioned at the very outset, this interview that he did with the New York Daily News. I think it's important to point out what the morality of Bernie Sanders and the left are, because they like to pretend that they are great moral arbiters, and they are not. Here is Bernie Sanders explaining morality from the perspective of the the left. He gave this answer when he was asked why companies ought to be legally punished for outsourcing. Here's what he said, quote, to me, what moral is? I've got to be concerned about you. You've got to be concerned about my wife. That's moral to me. So love thy neighbor as thyself, but as government policy, right? Not as religious policy, not God telling you, not you should be caring about your fellow human being, but as government policy. In other words, if I outsource jobs because it's cheaper somewhere else, in order to create cheaper, better products for consumers, I'm not loving your wife properly. First of all, Bill Clinton always took love thy neighbor's wife extremely seriously. He rewrote the Bible to include that particular passage, love thy neighbor's wife. But Bernie's morality is it's morally vacuous. And, and the problem is that, that his morality is based around the idea that free and voluntary activity that is not based around caring about his wife is immoral. So if you and I have a transaction and his wife doesn't get a cut, That's us not caring sufficiently about his wife, and that has to be stopped by the government. It's not just my job to care about his wife, according to Bernie Sanders. It's my job to pay for her. This is called totalitarianism. But Bernie is winning, and he's winning among young people because he uses this guise of caring and fairness in order to cram down an authoritarian mindset. So here is Bernie Sanders last night talking about how now that he's beating Hillary Clinton in Wisconsin, he's going to beat Trump. Here he is, Bernie Sanders. Momentum is that when you look at national polls or you look at statewide polls, we are defeating Donald Trump by very significant numbers. And in almost every instance, in national polls and in state polls, our margin over Trump is wider than is Secretary Clinton. And there's a reason for this. The reason that that he's beating Donald Trump is because Trump actually thinks the same way that he does. The only difference between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump is Bernie Sanders says, you have a duty to care about my wife and I will use government to enforce that duty. And Trump says, you have a duty to care about me personally and I will use government to enforce that duty. But otherwise, they're, they're very much the same, particularly on trade and economic policy. They both say they want to break up the big banks. They both say that they want to restrict trade in significant ways. There's a reason that Trump is successful and there's a reason Bernie is successful. The difference is Trump is the past of conservatism and Bernie is the future of leftism. And this is going to tear apart the Democratic Party in the same way that Trump has torn apart the Republican Party. Trump is the last vestige of paleoconservatism, grabbing the hem of conservatism, trying to rip it away. Bernie Sanders is the future of, uh, of leftism, trying to, he's also the past. I mean, the, all, all political movements go through cycles. Bernie is paleo-leftism, right? He, he's, he's actual old school Marxism. And he is coming, 1930 South New York Marxism, he is coming to take it away from Hillary Clinton. And the young people are following him. Here's Trevor Noah again. And you can see the ire from the actual left at the Democratic Party if they deprive 
Bernie Sanders of his nomination, if they steal his nomination. Bernie came out on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this this weekend, this past week. He's, he's been going at Hillary quite hard. And a lot of people feel that Bernie Sanders has been... I'm going to paraphrase or really quote Twitter, rather. The, Bernie's being blocked um, <laughs> by the DNC. Is there any merit to this? You know... as that makes me feel. Um, I'm not doing a very good job of, uh, of rigging the outcome or blocking yes. um, <laughs> anyone uh, to, from being able to get their message out. Uh, the reality is, is I have a job as a national party chair that is one that requires a thick skin. It requires me to be able to absorb the body blows so our candidates can stay above the fray. And, you know, if I have to take a few punches in order for them to be able to make sure they can get their message out, then so be it. But, 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 but is, 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 I'm all about making sure that ultimately we can elect our party's nominee in the general election. Where? Okay, and he, she says that, but you can see Trevor Noah is very upset about this, and so is a lot of the left. The reason is because Bernie Sanders is a purist. He's a pure Marxist. Hillary Clinton is not. And now she's trying to ascribe her defeats like Donald Trump. So, so Sanders is like Trump in terms of policy. But Hillary is like Trump very much in terms of personality. Hillary and, and Trump are very close together in terms of personality. They're both narcissists. They both can't deal with the idea of losing. And they ascribe their losses to anything but their own incapacity. So if Trump loses, it's because he's being cheated. If Hillary loses, it's because she's a woman. Here's her I am woman, hear me lose routine again yesterday. This is always her go-to. Are you a better candidate now? What if, if you were to boil it down to one or two lessons that you've learned since OO, what, what would those have been? I hope I'm a better candidate. I feel like I am. I mean, I have said in this campaign, I'm not a natural politician. Right. I'm not somebody who, huh. uh, like my husband or Barack Obama, just it's music, right? right? I am someone who loves doing the job that I have. I would love having the job of president because I know how to do it. I know what the country uh, needs. Um, but the campaigning part is hard for me. Well, I yeah, think I've gotten yeah, better. Break that down for me a little bit. Four, what about it? Years. What about it? Do you find a little well, less natural and fun right. than other well, I'll, you know? And some of this may be personal to me. Yeah. And some of it, from all the literature I've read, may be gender linked. Oh, really? Okay, yes. So, for example, when I did my announcement with um, Daniel Patrick Moynihan on his farm. Pinder's Corners. Right? Right. It was incredibly hard for me to say the pronoun I instead of we. Right. I had been a strong supporter, not just of my husband, but other people who I tried to okay, get elected. So, so tried she to, goes on along uh, in this way. The I idea could. is that her weaknesses are gender linked. It's because she's a woman that she's having a tough time. And then she goes into full Donald Trump delusion territory. So you heard Trump earlier say, well, he, he didn't really lose, he was cheated. Hillary lost 80% of the youth vote, 82% of the youth vote, actually, according to CNN. And yet there she was yesterday saying that young voters really, really like her. Here is Hillary explaining that even though she's losing 80% of young people, they love her. They just love Hillary. Look, I think it's exciting to be, in effect, protesting. I remember I did that a long time ago when uh, I was in my 20s. And I totally get 
uh, the attraction of this. And in all the research that I have seen about who is supporting Senator Sanders, a lot of the young people like both of us. They really like me. They admire what I've done, what I stand for, and they really, really like him. Mm -hmm. So I'm not as worried as the numbers uh, might show about how he has attracted uh, so many young people because I think that it is important to bring them into the process and I give them a lot of credit for doing that. My argument basically is, look, we are electing a president and a commander-in-chief. We are electing the Democratic Party standard bearer to go up against whoever the Republicans wind up nominating and we really need to be sure uh, that we elect someone who can walk into that Oval Office on January 20th, 2017, mm -hmm. and okay, start and making... she swivels back to her qualifications. But, but, but the truth is that, that she doesn't have young voters behind her. So again, in terms of personality, Trump and Hillary very similar. In terms of policy, Trump and Sanders very similar. Again, the difference is that Trump, uh, Trump and Hillary and, and Sanders, they're all above the age of 1,000. The difference is that, that the older... Democrat is reflective of the future of the Democratic Party. The older Republican, Trump will be 70 in about a month or two months. Uh, he, is, he is not reflective of the future of Republicanism. He's actually reflective of a, of a past that's now coming back to bite Republicans right on the butt. Well, okay, so it's time for a couple of things that I like, and, now it's, and then it's time for a couple of things that I don't. So here's the thing that I like. I'll do a couple of things that I like today because I, we didn't have a show yesterday. And by the way, it's our 100th episode, everybody. Yay, 100th episode which is very exciting. If only you could see me, which you can't because our internet connection sucks. But here are a couple of things that I like. So in, in, the, in the pantheon of terrific scores, terrific music score, musical scores for movies, there's one, one of my favorites is East of Eden. East of Eden is an, oh, it's a pretty good movie. It's a great book. It's, it's, if, if you're looking for a great book by Steinbeck, don't look to Grapes of Wrath, which is a mediocre book. Look to East of Eden, which is a truly great book. Leonard Rosenman wrote the score to East of Eden, and you can hear how great the score is uh, in, this, in this trailer for East of Eden uh, from, uh, from, from Leonard Rosenman. After stinking city hall go there, they sneak in at night, and I walk in this front door in the daytime, see? to every explosive chapter to capture for you the stark realism of people who love so deeply hate so fiercely live so recklessly warner brothers had to seek out vibrant new personalities tap new sources of talent create new stars it's a, it's a, it's a good movie it's a better book east of eden by steinbeck if you want to read another great book connecticut yankee and king arthur's court very underrated Mark Twain novel. The reason that I, I recommend that is because I'm reading a book recommended by Andrew Clavin called The Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. He's recommended it on his podcast. And I know Clavin is off this week, but as I'm reading it, it's very reminiscent of Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, uh, which is all about 
the uh, which is all about a guy from the 19th century traveling back and being part of King Arthur's court and bringing all these technological innovations. Doomsday Book is basically an update of that. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So Barack Obama announced yesterday, his administration announced yesterday, that they want you to rent your third bedroom to O.J. Simpson or they are going to fine you. Really, this is what they said. The Housing and Urban Development Department issued new guidelines, and the guidelines say, quote, the Fair Housing Act prohibits both intentional housing discrimination and housing practices that have an unjustified discriminatory effect because of race, national origin, or other protected characteristics. Because of widespread racial and ethnic disparities in the U.S. criminal justice system, criminal history-based restrictions on access to housing are likely disproportionately to burden African Americans and Hispanics. In other words, if you keep criminals out of your house because the justice system is evil and racist and terrible, that means that you're actually being a racist. This just demonstrates how racist the Obama administration is. I want to keep criminals out of my third bedroom because I don't want O.J. Simpson in my third bedroom. Obama says that's because he's more likely to be black. Well, if the criminal is more likely to be black, that's not my fault. The criminal is 100% likely to have been a criminal, right? I mean, turns out criminality is pretty well linked with, I'm not going to trust you to pay your rent. But according to the Obama administration, that makes you a racist. This demonstrates, as always, just how racist and immoral the Obama administration is. And they really are truly immoral in every available way. The, the justice system, by the way, is not biased against black people or Hispanic people. Read Barry Latzer's The Rise and Fall of American Crime. Uh, a violent crime in America, and you will see there are statistics that he lists backing this up. The actual racism here is that blacks and Hispanics are incapable of avoiding criminal acts resulting in conviction. Criminality is not a proxy for race because race isn't related to criminality. Culture is related to criminality, and some cultures are more prominent among certain people of certain races. Individuals, not melanin levels, commit crimes, but according to Obama's social justice regime, we have to be judged as members of our race rather than as individuals. So if a criminal is black, he's black first and then a criminal. So if you punish the criminal, you're punishing the black guy. That's really, really gross. Okay, final thing that I hate today. This is a picture that, well, you can't say, you know, we'll save this one. We actually have video. This this guy who's, who's uh, we'll save the, the man identifying as a mythical beast for when I can actually show you the picture because it's quite gross. Instead, we'll go to the virtual reality sex suit. So there's a report today that scientists have now created a virtual reality sex suit, which lets men experience sexual intercourse on their own. Number one, I wasn't aware that this technology was necessary. It turns out that men found ways. Um, but second of all, it just demonstrates that in our increasingly interconnected society, we're actually more isolated. When we don't have values in common, we're more isolated. And instead of finding love with compatible partners, instead we're trying to find we're trying to love ourselves. You know, as as Woody Allen once said, you know, self that he, 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 I'll paraphrase because it's, it's off color, but, but he says he, he, he was into self-pleasure because it's sex with a person that I love. And, and increasingly in our society, that is, that is the direction in which we're moving because we don't have anything in common anymore. We're just, we're divided from one another on every level. We don't have common values. We're not looking to build lives together. We're just looking for whatever gets our rocks off. This is just the latest indicator of that. We need to restore a culture of common values and that involves common values that don't impinge on the freedoms of others, as Bernie Sanders would have you do, or as Donald Trump would say that we should do. It's not about you creating a society that pleases you. It's about you staying out of everybody else's business. Because if we don't do that, we'll have a society that pleases no one. Happy 100th episode, everybody. We will be back tomorrow, and I will actually, we hope, be on video. You'll actually be able to see me for the subscribers. You'll also have the mailbag tomorrow. 
and make sure that you send in your mail because there's plenty to talk about. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let PureTalk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 